Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Okay, thank you, operator, and a very good morning to everyone, and welcome to IPC's second quarter results and operations update presentation. My name is Mike Nicholson, the, the CEO. I'm also joined this morning by Christoph Nergararian, the CFO, and Rebecca Gordon, who's our VP of Investor Relations and Corporate Planning. I'll begin in the usual fashion by walking through the operational highlights for, for the second quarter, and then I'll pass the call over to Christoph. He'll take you through the financial numbers and results. And then at the end of both of our presentations, we'll open up for questions, and the participants who um, are on the conference call uh, will go first, and then we can turn to the questions that have been asked via um, the internet. So. To get started, I think it's fair to say that the, the second quarter has been one of the more challenging quarters that we've had to navigate through in, in recent times. And of course, we, we had the twin forces of the coronavirus outbreak and the lack of an initial supply response, um, which, which led to profound weakness in, in oil prices during the, the quarter. But if, but if I look back, uh, I'm really pleased with the results that our, our team have taken, the swift actions that we took to, to reset our, our business plan. And those were really threefold, and we touched upon those in our first quarter results. It was significantly cutting our discretionary expenditure. It was curtailing some of our higher cost production. And really the top priority was to preserve our liquidity headroom. And I hope that when you listen to, to, to the results this morning, you'll see that we've made really good, good progress on all three of those fronts. And I think IPC now stands on a very solid footing to, to benefit from the improved market conditions that we've seen more recently. So to, to start with the, the second quarter highlights and, and with our production, our average Q2 net production was just under 36,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And, and that was towards the top end of our Q1 guidance as we saw oil prices improve towards the end of the second quarter and we started to, to bring back on some of our production that we had curtailed earlier in the quarter. And as I mentioned, with those improving prices, we did commence the progressive um, ramp up of our Canadian oil production. And as a result of that, in the continued ramp up of that production, we are revising now upwards our fuel year guidance to 37 to 40,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day from the previous Q1 guidance of 30 to 37,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Really good performance in terms of operating cost delivery. Um, below our Q1 guidance, our second quarter OPEX per barrel was below. $11, um, and we're retaining our full year guidance of $12 uh, to $13 per barrel, um, so unchanged from the first quarter guidance there. 
In terms of our capex and decommissioning estimates, a, a very marginal increase of, of $3 million to $80 million um, for the full year. And turning to the liquidity position of the company, I think we were able to, to deliver a, a very positive outcome um, in what was you know, a fairly challenging environment. And we'll go through it in a bit more detail, but our international and Canadian reserve-based lending facilities um, were refinanced during the quarter, and we were also able to conclude um, the, the securing of our French facility, which we touched on in our first quarter results. In terms of our operating cash flow generation, just below $15 million um, for the second quarter. And I think as a result of the operational decisions that we took, the cost cuts that we put in place, um, and the hedging program that we had in place for the second quarter, and we were able to deliver a free cash flow neutral position through the second quarter, um, which I think was really good performance. Net debt levels increased from just over $300 million to $341 million, and the majority of that increase um, in net debt was driven by exchange rate movements and working capital movements. And Christoph will come back and shed a bit more light on that in his uh, presentation. In terms of our hedging program, um, we've taken a decision to put some additional hedges in place for the second half of 2020. That's tied to our decision to commence our production increases in Canada, and, and really the, the main rationale there is to ensure that we can uh, generate free cash flows. We bring those production curtailments back online, and we've hedged approximately two-thirds of our third quarter production um, with an average WCS price of $28 per barrel and 50% of our Q4 production at $25 per barrel. In terms of how the company now stands and we look at our financial headroom, uh, we're forecasting financial headroom by the end of 2020 of in excess of $100 million US dollars. And that assumes uh, an average Brent oil price of $35 per barrel the rest of the year and a $22 per barrel WCS price um, for the second half of 2020. And that represents a significant improvement um, in our available financial headroom relative to the guidance that we gave in our, our first quarter report when we expected to use up to 40% of that. Last but not least on, on the ESG fronts, um, obviously a very challenging quarter. Um, very pleased that we didn't have any material incidents uh, to report. We did put in place stringent coronavirus protection measures in place, and none of our operational sites had to face any um, shutdowns as a result of the coronavirus. So very pleased with um, that performance. And as we touched upon in our first quarter results presentation, um, we did secure our 2020 carbon offset project, um, which sets us on a path for the next five years to reduce our average CO2 intensity down to the global average of 20 kilograms per BOE. So if we now go into a bit more detail and, and a recap on our 2020 investment strategy, and if we look at the chart on the left-hand side of the slide, it's our CapEx and decommissioning estimate. As I mentioned, we got a small marginal increase of $3 million um, for the remainder of 2020. 
and that's really made up of continuing to, to finalise the drilling uh, on our Onion Lake Thermal project of our D-prime uh, well pads. The majority of the drilling took place during the first quarter. We took the, the decision to suspend that, um, but it makes a lot of sense to complete uh, the drilling whilst uh, that rig is on site as the mobilisation costs would be much higher if we released that rig. And that gives us the opportunity to to, to recomplete those wells and get them on production next year. We also took the decision to suspend uh, the ramp-up of our N2N UR project, and with improving prices, uh, we do capitalise the chemical costs, and we've moved forward again to, to start ramping up the Suffield N2N project. So that that captures the bulk of the of the capex increase. But if you take a step back to our capital market state at the beginning of the year, when we announced our full year budget was over $160 million. Um, our latest full year forecast of $80 million still retains a more than 50% cut to that original CapEx budget. If I turn now and look at our operating cost guidance, we're not changing uh, our full year OPEX guidance that we gave in Q1 of $12 to $13 per barrel. But I think you can see we're, we're really on track to delivering a solid OPEX performance for the full year. We'd originally guided just under $14 per barrel at our capital markets day in, in February. Our Q1 actual was $12.50, and our second quarter OPEX per BOE was ahead of that guidance at $10.70. And the reason for the good performance was we obviously curtailed our higher cost in production, and we also reduced our OPEX project activity set, things like workovers of higher marginal cost well. So that's why we were able to, to deliver such a good OPEX performance during the second quarter. We turn now and go into a bit more details on our production and the revised production guidance that I've alluded to, to earlier. Uh, just to set the, the, the production guidance change in context, when we uh, issued our Q1 guidance of 30,000 to 37,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Our low side guidance assumed that we continued through the second half to have exceptionally weak Canadian oil prices and that all of our Canadian oil production would have been curtailed through the second half. The high side, the 37,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, assumed that the production curtailments that we instituted through the second quarter um, would have remained in place through the second half of 2020. But that guidance, as I mentioned, has been now upgraded uh, to 37,000 to 40,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. We have seen through the, the second half of the second quarter and into July a significant improvement in Canadian oil prices, and that gave us the encouragement to start to increase our production levels on our Suffield oil project and our Onion Lake thermal assets um, in Canada. And we have paired um, those production increases with some additional WCS hedging, as I referred to earlier, uh, to ensure that we will generate free cash flow from those incremental barrels. 
There was some partial curtailment of our Paris Basin crude production as a result of the impact of the coronavirus on the, the Grand Puy refinery. Um, that was started back up in, in late May, and we've also now brought those production levels back up to, to pre-curtailment um, capacity levels. So those are now forecast into that revised increased guidance range. As I mentioned on the previous cost guidance uh, slide, we still feel it's too early to start to significantly increase our CapEx budget, um, so we don't expect any further growth um, from the capital projects. Those remain on hold, and we don't anticipate bringing that $80 million of CapEx cuts back into the program in the second half unless we see significant further improvements in um, crude oil prices. This next slide just shows a little bit more detail um, on the on the year-to-date production. I think it's helpful because we, we did talk about the very swift action that we took in terms of our production curtailments. And if you if you look at the chart, you can see where really the, the price weakness kicked in around mid-March. And we were very, very swift to react and start to uh, curtail our Canadian production back down to the nomination and hedge volumes uh, that we had in place to preserve uh, you know, our financial strength. And you know, obviously prices bottomed out through May where you can see we were at our lowest production levels. And then we can see prices started recovering through June um, and July. And that's when we started to progressively ramp back up our Canadian crude production. And that's when the, the Grand Prix refinery came back on stream. And you can see as we, as we head towards the end of July, we've got production levels back up above um, 40,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. So swift action, but now pleased to be starting to progressively ramp back up those production levels, which have fed into that increased full year production guidance. Turning now to the, our liquidity headroom and, and our credit facilities, as I mentioned in the highlights, we're very pleased to have concluded during the quarter um, the refinancing of both of our international and our Canadian reserve base lending facilities. We did touch upon our view in, in our first quarter presentation that we felt we had capacity to increase. Um, our borrowing capacity on our international assets, and that's exactly what we've done. We've we've increased the facility size from 125 million dollars to 140 million US dollars, and more importantly, we've extended the maturity by two and a half years to the end of December 2024. Likewise, on the Canadian facility, um, with the price weakness that we saw in Canada, we did touch upon in our first quarter results that there were some um, support packages that were being offered by the Canadian government. Um, in the end, we did not need to, to rely on any of those support packages. Um, and again, we were able to extend the maturity of our Canadian facility by a year to May 2022. There was a modest reduction from 375 million Canadian dollars down to 350, but essentially net-net between international and Canadian facilities um, our access to liquidity stayed relatively flat, but of course we did significantly extend the maturity of those facilities. I think what's also worth mentioning is the, we were able to negotiate the removal 
of our leverage covenant on the Canadian facility, and we didn't have any leverage covenants on our international facility. And as we mentioned in our first quarter results, uh, during the second quarter we signed up a very low-cost French facility of 13 million euros. And when you put those all together, net-net um, through the second quarter, we're actually able to increase our access uh, to our credit facilities by around 10 million US dollars. I did mention that we, uh, with our production um, increases, that we felt it was prudent to put in place some additional Canadian uh, crude price hedges as we bring that production back online. Um, Two-thirds of our third quarter production has been hedged at an average price of 28 US dollars per barrel and half of our Q4 production has been hedged at 25 US dollars per barrel. So when you put all of that together, the cost reductions, the, the refinance credit facilities, and that hedging program, um, we really have seen a significant improvement in our overall liquidity position um, and funding position that we presented in our first quarter results. We, we said back then, by the end of the year, we were forecasting above $100 million of available liquidity headroom. And we took a very bleak assessment of the forward-looking oil prices. We, we were assuming back then $25 Brent and $0 per barrel WCS, essentially shutting in all of our Canadian production. And under those assumptions, we were expecting to use up to 40% of that liquidity headroom. In the end, where we stand today, as at the end of the second quarter, we had access to $90 million of liquidity headroom, and we expect to generate free cash flow in the second half of 2020. And that's assuming uh, a Brent oil price of $30 per barrel and a Canadian WCS price of $22 US per barrel. And those prices are well below um, the forward curve as it stands today. So putting the company really in a strong financial uh, position for the second half of this year. Final few slides that I have is just going into a little bit more detail um, on the assets. I think it shows the high levels of discretion and flexibility and the swift action that we took. If we start with our Suffield oil and gas assets in, in Canada, if you look at the chart on the left-hand side of the slide, you can see essentially very stable gas production, and we've been able to continue our optimization efforts on our Suffield gas production with a very active um, swabbing campaign. If you look on the, the right-hand side of the, of the chart, which is our Canadian Suffield oil production, you can see that towards the end of 2019, with our very active drilling program, about 20 wells drilled last year, we'd started to, to ramp up our oil production towards 8,000 barrels per day. When we saw the oil price weakness um, kick in um, in the middle of March, we took that swift action, and you can see we really did beam back down our Suffield oil production to, to a low um, in May, and then you can see the progressive ramp-up that we've already instituted in June and July as we started to see commodity prices improving. But as things stand today, um, our remaining 
2020 development activity that we'd originally planned is still on hold as a, as a result of the low pricing environment and will remain so unless we see significant improvements in all prices. But of course, the team is still very active in maturing additional drilling targets and building the inventory um, that can be the fuel for further organic growth, both on the oil and the gas side in the years ahead. Turning now to our Onion Lake thermal assets, similar story. If you recall last year, we did complete uh, a facilities upgrade and, and expansion project, and that lifted our production capacity um, to around 14,000 barrels per day. If you look at the production graph through late 2019, last year we did bring online our new FPAD, um, which brought our production up to close to 12,000 barrels a day, uh, which was the well capacity with that FPAD online. And like the Suffield asset, you can see as prices started to weaken um, you know, through the end of the first quarter, we took swift action. We actually shut down a complete train. That's the most cost-effective way to curtail our oil production. So we were still generating steam and steaming and maintaining pressure across all the individual well pads, um, but we cut our production in half by suspending one train. Through the through the second quarter, and as you can see into July, we've progressively been ramping that production back up as we saw oil prices improving. Um, our average rates in, in July were actually impacted by a shutdown um, as we wanted to, to improve the reliability of our facilities as we started to bring production back up. And if you look at the spot rates at where our production levels stand today, we've been in that 9,500 to 10,000 barrels a day range. So I think the actions that our operations team on the ground have taken by you know, maintaining pressure in all of the individual well pads and ensuring that we have consistent temperature um, in each of the well pads and good conformance um, of heat across all the well pads has meant that our, our production ramp up has actually been running slightly ahead of expectation. And of course, that means that we've seen absolutely no evidence of any reservoir impact uh, due to production curtailment. So I think very sound and solid operating protocols and happy to see that production coming back online slightly faster than we'd originally forecast. Um, turning to Malaysia now, um, you can see from the production forecast, we the, the yellow bars on the right-hand side of the of the chart show the addition of the, the A20 well, which was brought on stream during the first quarter. We did mention in our Q1 results that we had a, a drilling problem and we had fluids entered our A15 well and that resulted in us having to, to drill a sidetrack well to bring that production back online. But with the, the weak oil price environment we saw through the second quarter, we took the decision to suspend uh, the sidetrack of that well. So you can see the, the hashed blue bars, which would have been the production potential had E15 been on stream, but we think it's prudent to wait for oil prices to recover, um, and the sidetrack of E15 is most likely to be a 2021 event now, as opposed to bringing that production back on stream uh, today and spending that additional capex. But the team in Malaysia is still busy maturing some additional production opportunities, and we are looking for further drilling targets, and particularly around the A15 and A20 area. And we're also looking at 
optimization opportunities, so things like pump replacements on our existing well stock to see if there is areas for us to bring on some incremental uh, low-cost, high-value production there on our Bertam asset. My last slide for the operations update, and we're turning now to our French business. Um, if you look at the production chart, You'll recall from last year that we did do the redevelopment of our Verligravel um, field in the Paris Basin. Um, really good response from, from that redevelopment. We saw production levels increasing to close to uh, 3,500 barrels a day late in 2019. Um, stable production levels as we moved into the first quarter of 2020. And then, of course, with the oil price um, slowdown and the impact of the coronavirus, we had to slow down our Paris Basin production as a result of an outage of the Grand Puy refinery. But, of course, that refinery was brought back on stream in, in late May. You can see production ramping back up in June to 3,000 barrels a day and we're now producing at levels slightly higher than that. So really good response in bringing production levels back up to, to those pre-curtailment levels. All development activity, though, in France is still on hold until we see a recovery in oil prices. In our original CapEx budget, we had intended to take the rig that we'd used for drilling our Verde Gravel wells to the western flank of our Ville-Perdue field and conduct a three-well program there. Um, and as I mentioned, we prefer to take a, a more cautious view and, um, and keep those that additional three-well program um, for potential activity as we move into 2021. In France, so we've got a long track record of increasing our, our reserve and resource base, and, and I think the successful drilling of our uh, horizontal wells last year mean that we do have a decent inventory for further production growth in France in, in the years ahead. So that concludes the, the highlights of the operations update for the second quarter. I'll pass now to Christophe, and he'll walk you through the financial results and, and highlights. So, Christophe, over to you. Yeah, thank you very much, Mike. Good morning to everyone. Uh, moving on to slide 12 about the, the financial highlights. As Mike mentioned, as we all unfortunately witnessed, I mean, Q2 was a very difficult um, environment to, to, to work in. And uh, it's fair to say that IPC reacted extremely swiftly to the, to the changing economic environment in Q2. And as early as uh, mid-March, there was um, the decision to, to pretty much cut all discretionary capex and uh, reduce cartel production by 40 to 50% in Canada to maintain profitable operations, and uh, the, the, the result of that very swift and early decision in mid-March is um, that the IPC was free cash flow neutral in uh, the second quarter. The, the production, because of this uh, voluntary curtailment in uh, Canada, was just shy of 36,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, roughly 10,000 barrels a day lower than uh, during the, the first quarter. And uh, with brand prices below 30 US dollars per barrel on average during this, uh, this second quarter, the, the operating cash flow was just shy of 15 million US dollars and a bit that just above 12 million US dollars, obviously much lower 
than uh, any of the quarters we experienced in the past, and especially if you compare that to our performance in, uh, in, in 2019. But I think together with the curtailment of the production during, um, during Q2 in Canada, it's worth mentioning that uh, we did not only cut discretionary capex, we also spent quite a bit of time and efforts to reduce and manage our costs and our OPEX down, and that resulted into a, a low unit, um, unit cost per, per BOE at below 11 US dollar per BOE for the, for, for the quarter. So a, a good performance on, uh, for IPC in uh, managing our cost. On the, the following slide on realized prices, I mean, it's worth mentioning, okay, well, Brent was uh, fairly low, just below 30 US dollar per barrel on average, but uh, the important fact for all of our Canadian production, despite the, the curtailment, we were still making money in, uh, in, in Canada for, for, for the production which uh, we, left, uh, we were left producing, and uh, that was partially driven by a, a narrowing of the WTI-WCS differential, uh, which was at 11 on average, but which has been improving through the, the, the second quarter. Now, if you look at the, the realized prices, happy to report that uh, Malaysia, uh, we are still and continuing to see premiums to, to brands. So we're selling our, our, our berth and cargoes at a, at a premium to brands at two, plus two bucks on average, but it's on the average, it tends to be higher than, than two bucks, but plus two on, on average for the quarter. In France, we are virtually selling our oil at um, at, uh, on, on par with Brent. The reason why we report here on average a realized price five, five US dollars below the Brent price is that we had a lifting in Aquitaine. As you know, we have two parts in France. We're producing from the Paris Basin as well as from the southwest of France, where we have one, sometimes two lifting per year. And that lifting occurred in April, which was the lowest uh, pricing in, in Q2, the lowest months in, in, uh, in Q2. So. Uh, on average below, but feel feel comfortable that the realized price for the for for in France continues to be at or just uh, below the the brand price. In uh, in Canada, uh, we had the same with Sheffield. We cut our production mostly at Sheffield in May and June, so we tend we we sold a bit more volumes uh, from Sheffield in April. And in uh, May and June and April, prices were the, the, the lowest. So on average, we sold our Suffield. We had a realized price at Suffield below the WCS. But uh, for, for May and June, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was higher than, uh, marginally, marginally higher than WCS. So overall, a fairly, a fairly weak uh, <laughs> quarter, no doubt. But we see a lot of room for improvements and improved prices uh, in, in Q3, and we, we witnessed that already in, uh, in in July, and we're comfortable that uh, we're right, really realizing already WCS prices today, which are higher actually than uh, than our realized prices in um, in the first quarter. Moving on to the slide 14 on realized gas prices, so the. The good news, generally speaking, in Alberta is that um, the injection, uh, the storage capacities for gas are working much better. So that has driven eco prices uh, much higher over the next, uh, over the last uh, eight to nine months. So that's a, that's a strong positive for the 
for the for the province of Alberta and for our ability to sell on on Echo or Empress prices. Now the differential between Echo and Empress has narrowed and uh, was virtually zero over the last quarter. Now this being said, we still witness uh, sometimes in the forward market some very nice uh, premium for Empress over Echo. And so typically we, we sell forward uh, some of our gas production, and as, as, as an example, we've sold forward. There are not hedges formally, but there are forward sales, and so we've locked in already for the winter strip between November 2020 and March 2021. We've locked in some uh, positive premiums of between 20 to 40 cents um, per, per, per MCF for gas production. So we continue to, to, to watch the, the, the forward market and sees opportunities, but overall a very strong eco prices, which is overall uh, a sign of the good dynamics in, um, in, uh, in Canada and Alberta for, for gas prices. On slide 15, um, the, the very positive thing with IPC is that we're exposed uh, to oil price upside uh, through, all, um, through all our assets. The flip side is that in a, in a, in a, low, in a low oil price quarter like Q2, uh, we, 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 suffer, we suffered uh, from, from a cash flow perspective and only generated 12 and 4 to 15 million dollars of EBITDA and operating cash flow respectively. But uh, we see the, we, we believe we've turned the corner and, and anticipate already um, uh, much better results for the second half this year. In terms of operating costs, as I mentioned, as, um, as much as we reacted very quickly on the on the curtailment for some, some of our less profitable Canadian oil production, uh, we were very quick also in managing and reducing our costs down. In um, the, the proportion of, of gas production increased during the, the second quarter, and the, the, the unit cost of production for gas is much lower than for oil in Canada. So the overall unit cost was driven down in the, in the second quarter. On average, for the first half, we are just shy of uh, 12 US dollars per, per BOE. So there is, um, we, we are maintaining our annual guidance of 12 to 13 US dollars per BOE for the, for the full year, knowing, recognizing that we are just below the low end of that range for the, for the first six months. In terms of net back, slide 17, uh, I mean, that, that, that goes together with the, the, the reasonably low operating cash flow and EBIT that we generated during this, uh, this second quarter for the first six months. Um, our operating cash flow is just shy of five US dollars per BOE for the, for the first six months, and EBIT that just over four US dollars. That's obviously well below uh, our original guidance from our capital markets day, and even lower. Um, and, see, and our capital markets the guidance was already lower than our performance in 2019. So no doubt that uh, we are feeling very comfortable. We improve those netbacks going forward. Looking at the, the cash flows and how our net debt improved, so the the, of the free cash flow um, the free cash flow was was neutral. For the, for, the, for the second quarter. Now, if you look at the, the, the cash flow generation since the beginning of this year, uh, our net debt increased by roughly 35 million US dollars. And it's pretty obvious on this slide 18 
that the, the operating cash flow only covered a portion of the capex we were spending in the first two and a half months of this year. Um, indeed, most of the of the capex of the 62 million US dollar of capex spent and reflected here on this chart, all all, all of those were spent or committed or the work. Uh, was given the go-ahead in the first two and a half months between uh, the 1st of Jan and mid-March when uh, oil prices started to crash. So the result was an increase of the first six months of, um, of 35 million US dollars of, um, of debt. In terms of, uh, of, of GNA, uh, it goes along the, the, the same as uh, OPEX and on a unit per basis, a unit per barrel as well. We are uh, keeping our cost under control. The same goes with uh, with GNA, which uh, remain below budget, as you would expect in the current environment. The, um, in terms of uh, in terms of costs, interest um, interest expenses uh, were actually a bit lower in Q2, mainly driven by the reduction in uh, in the base rates, be it in Canada or in the U.S. The U.S. LIBOR. Um, was significantly down on average in the second quarter, as well as the um, Canadian uh, base rate. Now, the, if, you, if you look at the, the cost of debt in, um, in, in 2019, it was roughly 4.5% in the first half of this year. The, again, driven by base rates, our cost of debt on average was 3.5. We, we, we expect the second half of this year to be in line with 2019 at around 4.5. And, uh, and that should increase by another percent in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in going into next year on the back of the refinancing we just, uh, we just did. And I'll come back to that. On slide uh, 20, financial results. The, um, we, we generated, as, as you would expect and hope, a positive cash margin, but after depletion, uh, exploration, and GNA costs, not to mention financial items, we generated uh, a net loss for, for the first six months, as we we, we saw before. In the on the on the balance sheet front. Uh, the, the, the size of our balance sheet marginally increased. I mean, capex and depletion were roughly the same in the first six months, was almost a wash. But the, the value of our oil and gas properties on our balance sheet increased as a result of the granite acquisition, which we closed on the, the 5th of March. And in parallel, our, our debt levels increased from the end of last year. As, uh, as we booked the, as, as we concluded and closed this um, this acquisition, it's worth mentioning that uh, unlike some of our peers, we have we didn't have to book any uh, asset impairment or write-off, and that was a consequence of the. The fact that the, the acquisitions we've made uh, in Canada or the, the book values we were carrying for international assets um, were, were fairly low uh, compared to the, to the actual economic value. And so we were able to support our, our book value uh, both at the end of Q1 and at the end of this quarter as well. 
As much as we spend time in managing our costs, in cutting capex and curtailing those uh, production, this production in Canada, which uh, which uh, may not have been profitable in the second quarter, the the other the other half of uh, the management time and resources was spent in uh, managing and engaging with all our, our, our credit stakeholders and all the all the banks uh, which we're dealing with. And um, it was it was a, a, a very good outcome for all of us, both our banks and ourselves. Even if um, the cost of debt has marginally increased overall, we were able to refinance and, as Mike mentioned, more importantly, extend the maturity of all our loans. So overall, we've increased access um, to credit lines by 10 million U.S. dollar why we've almost maintained the exact same liquidity access as we had um, when we, we guided the, the, the market with our liquidity position in May when we released our, our first quarter. So we increased our international facility from 125 to 140 million US dollar with a maturity date at the end of 2024 now. The Canadian facility was um, was. Uh, Mildly reduced down from 375 million cat down to 350, but very importantly, all the banks uh, accepted and supported us in extending the maturity uh, by another 12 months until May 2022. And uh, as a, as an answer to some questions we received uh, from uh, from investors or shareholders, we we don't have we currently don't have any leverage. Governance. We had one in our Canadian facility, but it was removed, and so we are not subject to any uh, any pressure point from that perspective. In terms of hedging, we voluntarily entered into some um, a hedging program, and we hedged two thirds of our Canadian oil production for the third quarter and half of our Canadian oil production for the fourth quarter. As part of our discussions uh, with with our banks, we also voluntarily committed to hedge uh, 25% of our production in the first and second quarter next year with a view to continue to deleverage to secure um, being free cash flow positive and continue to be able to deleverage over, over the next 12 months, essentially. The result of uh, the, the production curtailment, the management of our costs, and the extension and maintaining of uh, access to our credit facilities is we, 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 we anticipate to maintain uh, access to in excess of 100 million US dollars uh, at the end of this year. So a much improved situation uh, in terms of liquidity to uh, what could have been the case um, if we had not been able to, 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 to refinance and extend the maturity of our credit facilities that we just um, went through with the, the support and help of our banks. On the next slide, on slide 23, you have the the recap of the, the hedges we put in place for the that, that third and fourth quarter. Um, suffice to say that uh, the, the the realized WCS price for that uh, portion of the hedges we put in place is uh, 28 US dollar per barrel for the WCS price in the third quarter and 25 for the for the fourth quarter, meaning that all of the all of the ramp up in our production we anticipate in Canada uh, will be free cash flow positive at those levels. That's how I, uh, I conclude my uh, my part on the financial highlights, and I'll uh, 
hand over back to Mike for the, the conclusion of this uh, this uh, second quarter release. Okay, no, thank, th thank you, Christoph. So, yeah, just a, a recap and a, and, a, and a summary. Clearly, some uh, severe uh, headwinds that we faced as we came through the, the second quarter, but the, the swift action that we've taken, I think, has really put IPC on a, on a very solid footing to to start to plan for the recovery. And that's what we've essentially started to do. So just a recap on our production, second quarter production, just below 36,000 barrels a day was um, towards the upper end of our revised first quarter guidance. And very importantly, we've started the progressive increase of some of the voluntary curtailed Canadian oil production late in the second quarter. And that's allowed us now to revise up our full year guidance um, to 37 to 40,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Very solid OPEX delivery through the second quarter, below $11 per barrel, and we feel we're well on track now to meeting our full year guidance of 12 to $13 per barrel. Still retaining a significant reduction in our CapEx budget, more than 50% lower uh, than our February Capital Markets Day budget um, at $80 million. And as Christoph has gone through in detail there, we've really put ourselves on a solid financial footing with the refinancing of both of our international and Canadian RBL facilities, as well as having secured access to our new French facility. Given the, the very weak oil prices, um, we're still able to generate just under $15 million of cash flow. And with the hedges we put in place with the large cost cuts and all of those um, tough operational decisions, I think it was a real achievement that we were able to, to be free cash flow neutral through the second quarter. Debt levels, as Christoph mentioned, rose to $340 million, but that was largely driven by non-cash exchange rate movements and working capital movements that were anticipated. New hedges in place, um, paired with our production ramp-up, um, to guarantee that we generate free cash flow from those incremental barrels. So two-thirds of our Q3 production hedged at $28 a barrel and half of our Q4 production hedged at $25 per barrel. And the company is really on a solid financial footing now as we look forward and we project uh, both Brent and Canadian oil prices well below the forward curve um, we see ourselves as having access to more than 100 million US dollars of spare financial headroom um, by the end of this year. So that's a significant improvement from our Q1 guidance when we expected to use up to 40% of that headroom. And uh, as I mentioned earlier on our ESG side, um, very pleased that we had no material incidents. Um, the coronavirus protection measures that we put in place allowed continuity of our operations um, and we were able in the first quarter to secure our carbon offset project. So all in all, a tough quarter, but I think um, as we look back, very positive set of results given the circumstances. So that concludes the, the presentation. Um, happy now to turn back um, to the moderator and we can start to open up for some questions. Thank you. If you wish to ask an audio question, you may do so by pressing 01 on your telephone keypad. If you wish to withdraw your question, you may do so by pressing 02 to cancel. Again, that's 01 on your telephone keypad if you wish to ask a question.
Our first question comes from Theodore Linton, SB1 Markets. The floor is now open to you. Yeah, good morning, guys, and thank you for taking my, my questions. Uh, I have three questions, if, if I may. Um, uh, firstly, on the M&A market in Canada, how has the Q2 downturn impacted the M&A market? And, and do you see more opportunities now than before, uh, such that we should expect you to, to, to pursue more uh, M&A uh, opportunities now than before? Uh, second question, uh, it's on hedging. Very positive to, to, to see the, the, the impact you have from hedging, but it's not very typical Lundin style to hedge to the uh, extent that you are doing. So, so is this directly related to, to your, your credit facilities or what has actually motivated these hedges? And uh, third question, just very detailed on, on the financials. Uh, uh, what's the tax rate on the second quarter FX game? Thank you. Okay, thanks, thanks, Tudor. I'll take the the first two questions, and then Christoph um, can take the last tax question. So, it, first, you, you asked about the M and A market in in Canada, and are we seeing more opportunities that, that than before? I think it's I guess it's still slightly early days, but we do anticipate that we're going to likely see a pickup in in activity. And I think one of the the key triggers for that, Theodore, is, is as companies come through their you know, bank refinancing and re redetermination um, processes. And, and I think IPC came at that very, very strongly. We had only a very small reduction in our credit facilities. And I think we've seen from some other um, companies in the space, they've had much larger reductions. And of course, that's going to put in place some additional balance sheet stress. So I do anticipate there there being much more opportunities as we move into the into the second half. We'll continue to be opportunistic and, and have a focus on on asset quality, but um you know certainly my expectation is we're likely to see um more opportunities in the second half than we saw in the in the first half. Your second question you was was in relation to hedging and saying that it's not um, typical for lending companies to to hedge, and and, and I think that, that that's a fair assessment. But uh, I would counter by saying that we went through a certainly very atypical second quarter, um, one that we basically turned our whole thought processes on our heads, where we had to voluntarily um, curtail some of our production because prices fell to such low levels. And what one particular example is if you. You know, I mentioned that we we curtailed the second train on our Onion Lake thermal project, and you know what's really important is on these kind of longer life thermal projects, as you you don't ramp up and ramp down production um, from 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 month to month. So we were we were sitting um, towards the the end of April, early May, as we were looking at our June nominations, and it was absolutely a, an operational-driven decision to hedge. We wanted to make sure that if we were bringing that production back on for at least three months, we would have certainty that we could ramp production back up to to to, to, to full production rate. So it was, you know, it was really an operational-driven decision, and we wanted to ensure that if we brought that production back online. That we've been able to, to to generate free cash flow. So really, that was the motivating factor besides um, putting those those hedges in place. 
on the third question, Christophe. And yes, so the, the main change in FX uh, that you can see is driven by the revaluation of some loans. Uh, external loans are uh, US dollar denominated, and we had some intra-group loans denominated in Canadian dollar. So when you reevaluate and consolidate uh, the, the, the financials in US dollar, it, uh, it changes up or down the, the, the value of uh, payables and receivables on the debt side, but it has no, no tax effect. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a pure accounting revaluation between uh, the, the US dollar and the CAD. So no tax effect. Thank you, that's, uh, that's all clear. Thank you. Our next question comes from David Raymond, BMO. So it's now open to you. Morning, guys. Um, First one, just on, on liquidity, and I was just looking for it there, but so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you talked in the past about maybe not maximizing the, the borrowing capacity of the assets and there being potential for, for additional capacity. Are you happy with this latest redetermination that, that you're now doing that and the price deck is, is conservative enough that we won't see or there'll be lower risk of, of downward revisions in, in future? And secondly, um, just maybe one for Mike, you know, obviously you, you've put growth projects on hold. Assuming we're still at current prices next year, how many of the projects that you've earmarked for 2021 do you think would actually go ahead? And is it purely a, a returns calculation or, or is liquidity also a key consideration there? Okay, thanks, David. Um, I'll take the second question first and then Christoph can, can answer your liquidity um, question. Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at all prices in the in the low 40s, um, it's a little bit early. We still obviously got to go through our um, our business planning and 2021 budgeting. But my my sense is, um, if we still see you know, continued weakness in all prices, we're going to want to take a more conservative approach to to ramping up um, our capital expenditure until we're certain that you know there's not going to be a second wave of coronavirus and and the demand outlook looks much much clearer so although a lot of our projects are reasonably quick paybacks um, I would expect us to take a slightly more cautious approach to to ramping up our production and ensuring that we're going to generate the highest levels of free cash flow as for, as for the first question, I think it's, uh, it's directionally fair to say that uh, we expect less pressure from, uh, from the, the, the fall redetermination. Now, you, you, te you tell me what the, the oil prices will be. I'll tell you what the, the, the bank price deck will be. No, nobody knows, obviously. But generally, if it was as of today, uh, the, the banks, especially in Canada, have told us that their price deck would be higher today than the one they used uh, when we went through the redetermination, which ended up in a, in a reduced amount from 375 down to 350 million cats. So everything being equal, uh, if in the fall we were in the same situation as of today, I think it's, uh, it's fair to say that there would be less pressure. Okay. Thanks, guys. Our next question comes from Johan Spitz. Securities, the floor is now open to you. Uh, thank you. Um, um, good morning, and thanks for taking my questions. That's uh, Johan Spets at Paris Securities. So a qu question on the revised uh, production guidance range 
for 2020, you increased it now to 37 to 40,000 BV per day. Uh, could you talk a bit about the, the considerations going into that uh, revision, uh, given that you, I think you pointed out that you're already near the top end of that range. Just uh, wanted to hear a bit how you're thinking about the second half of the year in terms of uh, production there. Thanks. Yeah, no, th thank you, Johan, and, and, and a good question. I mean, if you look, as I mentioned, if you look at our first half production, on average, we were just above 40,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And as, as you mentioned, you can see that we've edged back above um, 40,000 barrels a day. We've taken a, a fairly cautious approach to setting the, the bottom end of that guidance, I would say, at, at 37,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Clearly, there's still some certain uncertainties out there with respect to, to the size and the potential impact on demand of a second wave of the coronavirus. So what we've assumed on that lower end of the guidance is you know, that the, the, there are some further price weaknesses in the second half and that we would curtail our Canadian production back to the hedge levels that we've indicated in our second quarter results. So you know, certainly on track to... Um, to meeting the, towards the upper end of that guidance, but still want to be relatively cautious um, should markets take a turn for the south in the second half. Right. And so as a quick follow-up then, to, to exceed 40,000 sustainably in the second half of the year, is it fair to assume then that you would potentially need to add a bit of, uh, of, of CapEx on top of the, the guidance that you have uh, in place now at, at 80? Is that fair? Yeah, no, I mean, not, not, not necessarily. I mean, of course, we always have assumptions in there about uptime performance on, on all of our operating facilities. And, you know, if I, if I take Bertam as an example, we've continued to have 100% uptime right through the coronavirus crisis. So we don't necessarily need any additional capex for us to achieve the upper end of that guidance range. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Just as a reminder, if you do wish to ask a question, you may do so by pressing zero one on your telephone keypad. There will be a brief pause before any questions will be registered. Okay, there appears to be no further questions, so I'll hand back to the speakers for any further remarks. Yep, thanks very much. Um, we've got a couple of questions from the internet but running out of time rapidly. So I'll just hand over to Mike for, I think, what is an important question on an update on the oil and gas pipeline construction in Canada, Mike? Okay, yeah. So I guess we've got the, the three major pipeline projects. Um, the, the first being the, the Enbridge um, Line 3 replacement. And um, I think what we've seen there, the most recent announcements by the company, was that the the Minnesota regulator um, has needed some extra time to to issue the water quality certificate um, permit that was delayed by three months to from the August from mid August to to mid November. The the Canadian side of Line Three is being completed, and the company is estimated that the U.S. side is expected to take somewhere between six to six to nine months. So following the delay in that permitting. Um, the latest estimates for the in-service date of that project are somewhere between mid to late 2021. 
Um, towards the July, the Embridge CEO was on record as saying, I think he was asked about the, the potential of a, of a democratic administration and the impact that could have on, on the Line 3 replacement. And Embridge stated that it's focused primarily on permitting with state-level agencies and doesn't need to seek access to any cross um, cross-border federal permit. So um, they stood by that latest guidance of between mid to late 2021 for Line 3 uh, to be in place. The second project, um, which has already uh, started construction, the, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which will go west and add just close to 600,000 barrels a day of incremental export capacity to, to Asian markets. The first section of the pipeline um, in Alberta is more than 60% complete. Construction is, has begun in Kamloops in British Columbia, um, and Trans Mountain have guided that they expect construction to be underway on all sections of the pipeline uh, before the end of, of 2020. I think importantly, in early July, there was a Supreme Court ruling um, that set aside the uh, appeal from First Nations groups that they had not been adequately consulted. So that was really the last major outstanding legal challenge. So that project um, is moving forward. The last one where there's a bit more uncertainty is around uh, TC Energy's Keystone XL pipeline. Um, at the end of the first quarter, TC Energy did announce that the uh, the government of Alberta and themselves took a final investment decision and the Alberta government is actually injecting uh, 1.1 billion US dollars of equity into that project to cover all of the construction costs through the end of 2020 um, given the potential political um, uncertainties. Um, construction of Keystone XL has started in Canada, and it's able to proceed in, in all areas outside the waterways, um, where there was a, a recent ruling by a Montana judge in April that invalidated construction across um, some some river crossings. Um, TC Energy themselves, in their latest earning release, said that they plan to pursue other permitting means to gain um, the required regulatory authorizations to construct. Uh, the pipelines across wetlands um, and, and the water bodies. And interestingly, also the presidential permit was issued that's allowed an increase of the existing Keystone uh, system from 590,000 barrels a day up to 760,000 barrels a day. So I think, you know, directionally positive movements on, on all of the three main pipeline projects. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, this is the time for us to end the presentation, so thanks to the audience. Okay, thank you very much for everyone for taking the time to, to tune in, and we look forward to presenting um, the third quarter results. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, thank everyone. You. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.